My name is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change. This week's tip of the week is about the VRAR industry forecast. In 2021, the market for augmented reality and virtual reality was valued at $22.6 billion. Sounds like a lot of money, right? Well, by 2030, it's anticipated to reach in the U.S. $451.5 billion. Yes, you heard that right. The demand for augmented reality, AR, and VR technology, it is just rapidly advancing here. Um, It's being used in healthcare right now. A lot of people in that industry are using it to do surgery, to be able to practice instead of maybe using cadavers. Um, Not saying cadavers are out, but you know, that's where things are. With this said, it's time businesses stop trashing the fear they have about implementing this technology. For a long time, consumers have been hesitant about embracing VR technology, and um, it seems that it's changing, and it's changing relatively fast. You do not want to wait to jump on this bandwagon. You want to get into the VR, AR mainstream right away and do it now. IKEA, Wayfair, and Lowe's have implemented the VR experience and the benefits are there for everyone to see. So welcome to the Intern Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work. So welcome to the Intern Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work. And today's guest is Kanal Patel. He is, I, I don't even know where to begin, a software developer, a, an a, a game developer. He's also an AR and a VR expert, a subject matter expert, I think. He's in that same space for marketing. He is somebody that gives back to the community and extremely patient with all kinds of people. I will give him that too. So welcome to the show, Kanal. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, Isabella. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I have been uh, so excited to be in OMG Labs, a rebranded organization, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I always start the show off with five words and why those five words that you would use to describe yourself to someone. It can be mm-hmm. anything, personal and professional. Oh, wow. You know, the thing is, it's really hard to, I guess, talk about myself, Um but you know, it's always better when other people do it. Uh, but I, I would say, uh, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I always love learning. Uh, so I was like digging a little bit further and just getting to understand things more. So curiosity, curious, um, a innovative, which I, I mean, I, I've had the title of director of innovation, you know, before that's kind of like a, a lot of ways I look at making some small changes and, Hopefully has a big, big, you know, return. So like just innovation is really important to me. So innovative, um, creative, I think like, you know, I've always, you know, I think I've always had what I needed. I never had an abundance and, you know, coming from like, let's say maybe from Detroit, immigrant family, you know, being a startup founder, you never have all the resources you need. Um, so you just have to be creative in 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 almost all regards, um, you know. So and and that creativity is is also in the traditional sense of. Uh, I was a, I was a good illustrator when I was growing up. I always wanted to be an artist, so creative, um, scientific. I I would say I I also grew up 
always saying I wanted to be a scientist. So scientific, I like looking into what is the root cause of certain things, experimenting on like what caused it, why is it that the case? Like, you know, cor correlation is not causation. You know, some people are, are like, my shoes were blue that day. So that must be the reason. It's like, no, obviously that's not the reason, right? We we all understand that, but like that same principle applies to many other things. So I like, I like looking at things almost like scientifically. Um, and then kind, I don't, I guess like, you know, I, I, I think it's important that, you know, where we try to do our best to be nice to each other. Um, yeah. everybody has their own challenges. Everybody has their things that they're going through. Everybody, you know, uh, wants to be their best, uh, wants to try to do their best. Doesn't always happen. So you know, I would say like kind. Mm -hmm. I think you know, hold it, but, but yeah, yeah, they really do describe you uh, really, really well. They're thoughtful for sure. I think you're extremely thoughtful when you sit down and have to work with other people. You take in all of the different personalities. We were talking with one of the members down at the office and I was really um, surprised when you also said something that I think is the same as when you work with people, you just see them as big, big kids. Think of them as kids. And I think that's um, a very healthy place to be because the kid wants to come out, but the grown-up doesn't want to let the kid come out. So yeah. you work hard to make sure that they know it's a safe space, that they can say anything. There's no judgment. And they truly feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Good thing. So scientific, everybody should be a scientist. Everybody. So I love right. it. So, yeah. And then on the creative side also, I sit here because <laughs> I forget to take, you know, as we were doing this makeover on OMG Labs, I was going, oh my gosh, you know, you said, well, where's the video? And I went, oh, video, that would have been a good thing to do. <laughs> and so then, you know, it's like a very gentle approach, but I remembered it and I went, okay, remember to take pictures and videos of stuff that we're doing here because I got caught up in the work and not thinking about the fun stuff. So well, it's important. The, the work part is important, you know, like just do fun stuff and then the work doesn't get done. And like in the end, still like, you know, we're not in a good place. But um, I don't know, I guess I, I started appreciating marketing and, and storytelling and all that kind of stuff um, as the years went by as, as a way just to really kind of like put a little exclamation point in um in messages, you know, like what's memorable, being memorable, uh, I think matters because like we live in a very, um, I don't want to say boring world, but like a lot of things become very gray. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in order to stand out, you got to do some kind of marketing. You got to do something that makes you stick out. Yeah. And and so that, I guess that, that made me start thinking more about like, yeah, we should have a video. We should have a video that does this and it should be so different in this way. And. So is yeah. that where the inspiration came for OMG labs? Because we all know Orlando game space and right. that's what we're talking about is you rebranded it. So how did you come up with that name? Uh, so, so the first iteration of the name 
seems very, you know, not very creative. <laughs> like Orlando Game Space. Uh, it's about as on the nose as you can be. Uh, but even then, I thought that that was like, it was, it was being a little bit thoughtful in that, you know, I was already uh, a co-founder of the Indienomicon, you know, this community organization of all these like indie game developers and they were all making projects and things. And we were kind of like under the surface. Uh, not a lot of people knew about us and definitely the business community kind of didn't know about us. And so if we were going to have a physical space and I say we, but like I kind of like took my old game studio and ultimately said like, Hey, I have more space. Like, does it make sense for just one game studio? Let's turn this into something where other game studios can be there too. And, you know, just to make it very simple for us to get partnerships or to get people to even know who we were, chose Orlando game space. And it's like, where is it? Orlando. What is it about games? What is it? Oh, it's a space. And, you know, it helped, you know, like people in the mayor's office, people at UCF, um, other businesses, they saw the name, they looked into it and they're like, oh, okay, whoa, it's a physical space. We had a grand opening and everything and they very easy to wrap their mind around it. Um, and I think that part was achieved. And then going into OMG Labs, again, like, you know, the thought here is like, you got to stand out in a world where everything is tech. Um, every city is a tech hub. Um, you know, there's, there's tons of co-working spaces. So like, how can we be different? And, and everybody likes applying labs and science and, you know, you got insurance companies that are using astronauts and rockets for their logos. And it's like, what does that have to do with space? And, it's because they they want to feel like they're innovative. They're they're taking you to the moon. They want people to have that feeling. Um, and so like, you know, I the name came to me because I was thinking about uh NASA. I was thinking about people say the word NASA, they don't say the full name. It's an acronym, you know, like National Aeronautics Space Agency, right? So um, but nobody says the full name. They say mm -hmm. NASA. And so then I thought, like, wouldn't it be funny if and I'm just speaking to myself in my head, but like, it's like, wouldn't it be funny if like, yeah, we had a long name, but nobody ever called us that. Um, and so the, the original name was, you know, Orlando Media and Gaming Laboratory. Mm -hmm. And maybe on the surface, you would read that and say like, oh, yeah, Orlando Media and Gaming Laboratory. Okay. But then the acronym comes out to be OMG Labs. And then, you know, just as, as I mentioned that to other people, it's like, what about that? Everybody smiles. Mm -hmm. Like everybody smiles. It's like, oh, what? oh, yeah, okay, yeah, OMG Labs. Like, and just think, you know, they, they would then start thinking to it. And it's like, yeah, just be like, OMG, like, it's amazing, OMG. And, and so, um, everybody has their, their opinion of like the times they've said OMG or what, what they say it to. Um, but it's cute. And, uh, you know, when people hear it, they would do a little bit of a double take and it, it's a little, it's memorable. And so I think that that part worked out. Um, and also it, it helps us, uh, expand beyond what we have been like more than just games. Um, it's frontier technologies, anything that's, you know, innovative and tech technological and, 
still geared towards like 3D and gaming tech, but like whatever you see happen in that building, it should make you go OMG. You mm. know, you say it to yourself. And if we go with that too, maybe it's not only to Orlando. It's it's Central Florida. It's Florida. It's the whole country, the whole United States, Canada. It's the whole world. We should be able to interact with the whole world um, because all around the world, people could say OMG. Um, but if it was just Orlando, it might might be limiting in some way um, from us working, uh, you know, with other cities or states or countries or whatever. Um, so it's it, that that approach was intentional as well. Mm -hmm. I was telling my dad about this. And he said, OMG, that means like, oh my God. And I said, yeah, but it can also mean, oh my goodness, right, dad? Oh my goodness. Oh my it, gosh. It can be a whole bunch of things. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's true. He liked it. It was the first time. So it was like, you know, random customer discovery. What do you yeah. think? And, you know, he liked it. So it's good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you have dabbled in and how you how you got into this world of game development because you were a software engineer mm -hmm. and what else have you been? Um, I mean, I've been in sales. I've been in partnerships. Um, You've been I in suppose. sales? Yeah. Yeah, really? So you did, what did you go and sell? Technology, <laughs> like you know, like, so maybe like I'm not coding, but like I understand technology at a very deep level. I understand you know, I understood software and hardware. Um, you know, I, in one of my previous roles, <laughs> I was in charge of technology at a plastic manufacturing firm. And so not only was I writing, you know, the software as a lead software architect for that, I also had to handle like the technology of the company too. Um, and so, you know, with that, I, I had to understand a lot. And so like when I implemented all of these new things within this company and it was a whole digital transformation project, um, it was like what I did for this, I could do for other people. And, uh, I, I always tried to make certain I had good, I was expanding my network. So I would always reach out to companies in California, Silicon Valley area, and get to know some engineers there online, like in message boards. Um, and I would just try to like set up company tours. So I would just say like, hey, I'm going to be in the area. Like, it would be great to get a tour. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem, Kunal. And so it, I would just try to corral a couple tours together. So like I would get like four or five tours of these companies in Silicon Valley. And um, I would kind of have the excuse like, yeah, I'm going to be there for about a week or whatever. Um, so it's just kind of nonchalant and casual. And they're like, yeah, I can make it work that week. But really, I'm just going to make connections and i just made a lot of them together and and gave everybody the exact same like excuse um but that allowed me to just meet a lot of different people and so when when a particular technology came about um i i knew i got to know the people there i got a tour of it um i got to implement it within you know this plastic manufacturing firm i got to understand what worked what didn't work you know what people's complaints were I was like a customer. Then I became, you know, um, you know, a partner, uh, I guess, of that company, like, a, you know, a channel partner. So like I had a company that I was able to start a consulting company 
that I could now offer what I did for this plastic manufacturing company to other other companies, to like healthcare companies, other manufacturing companies, other organizations. And so then I ended up becoming a channel partner for this Silicon Valley tech company. And I got to know everybody in the company, every engineer, the CEO, CTO, everything. And, um, and then, yeah, like I, I, I became a salesperson. Um, so it's went- like, uh, an affiliate where you could make recommendations and they would buy it and then you would get paid for it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, but it, I mean, it, it got even larger than that. It was like you know, purchasing even stock of of this, uh, like like of equipment, and then selling that. Um, you know, so there were requirements basically of like sales numbers, quotas, um, margins, uh, sales strategy, working on marketing material what worked, what didn't work, what was confusing. So I was like interfacing with like every single person in that company. Wow. Uh, and, and basically in the field, what worked, what didn't work. And so there's sales managers of that company that I had to interact with. It was, it's kind of, I was basically kind of like a salesperson for them. Um, except that I, you know, had my own company and they, they call these people like channel sales partners or, or sometimes even bars. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'd done like thousand plus sales meetings, um, presentations, walked into so many different types of companies and had to read the room and see who was comfortable, who's not comfortable, you know, why somebody understood something or didn't understand something or find the analogy that would make somebody understand something. Um, and so I, I feel like, yeah, you know, you, you end up learning a lot in, in that kind of stuff. And it was very scary, uh, at first, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause like I was much more comfortable behind the screen just programming yeah. or, or just doing tech that way. But then to be, you know, standing in a room, people looking at me, like trying to sell them something. And sometimes it was selling them something like, not just like a couple hundred bucks. It's like, you're selling a hundred thousand dollars, $150,000, um, year long engagements and all that kind of stuff. And that was not easy, but it, it took a lot of like trying, failing, readjusting and, you know, it just took a while. Did you know that, um, I've, I've read this, it's a, a statistic that people now will have about seven careers. And based on what I know about you, it sounds like you've had seven so far. Pretty close. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Software engineer, sales. You can go into game developer, right? You can go into marketing. I mean, that's four right off the bat. So yeah, yeah. I don't know if you have more than that, but I think if you like split the pie of like all the things that I've done, like yeah, you you could break it into like more roles too. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. It makes sense in this day and age where so many different things are happening. Like people do have to become very multifaceted. It's not like one company for 40 years and you retire with a watch and then you get a pension like that. That's, that's like long, long, long gone. Um, Some places still have it, but not many. Yeah. Those places are, you know, very, very few and far between, but, but nowadays like, yeah, we have to be, very multifaceted. I, I don't know if we have to tr- truly become like Renaissance 
men and women, but like, but it, it feels that way. Sometimes we have to just at least have an understanding of how other things in the world work. If, especially if you're in, if you're in the entrepreneurial world, um, you kind of have to be that way. Mm-hmm. So OMG, one of the things that we worked on was coming up with growth plans. What's the growth plan that you have for OMG labs? Oh, you know, it's, um, it's like OMG labs is a startup of its own. Um, and it's strange in that it, it kind of has its predecessor of, of the Orlando game space as well. So this is going to be something that actually is, is a work in progress as, as we're doing it. So the, the plan here is that in growth plans that we give to the members of OMG labs, it, the thought behind this is it's very common to have these accelerators or camp boot camps or multi-week, you know, programs where everybody kind of gets thrown down the same hallway, the same um, funnel, and you go to these different classes or these different sessions, and you're you're taught like, hey, there's one on legal, and there's one on financial, and there's one on this, and and uh, one on marketing, and and every company is different though, and their approach is going to have to be different and unique. And sometimes you can't look, you can't learn and implement what you need based on like general commentary. Sometimes it is specific. Um, and, and sometimes even the approach needs to feel personal, even if it is general advice. And so instead of just saying like, hey, everybody should go to this program here and go through this, this learning this way or maybe go to this other program over here and learn that way. And, and it's no offense to those other programs. You do learn a lot. I've been through those as well. Um, the thing that I saw was missing was just sometimes just having a feeling that I've got a personal plan for, for me and my company and my people. And I have some people who are very much experts um, that are giving that guidance. Mm-hmm. And at least directing me in in what I should be doing. And I think, uh, you know, the thought, the thought here is like, there's something for one month, three months, and six months. Beyond that, the whole world could change. You don't know. So you don't want to go too far. But at least if you have an idea of like, hey, this is what I got to do in the next month. This is what I got to do pretty much within the next three and, and, and overall the six. And I'm going to have like regular meetings with these mentors that they can like really guide me on where do I go next. Um, then I'm going to improve if I do it. And yeah. if I don't, then what am I doing? You know, like uh, you should hear that too. Mm-hmm. Hear that like, yeah, I'm not, maybe I'm not coachable. I'm not listening to people because like everything on my checklist is not done. You know, but, but, it, but the thing is, it's sometimes very easy in regular life to just let that checklist go by and not get done because there's something else that happened and something else that happened and something else that happened. And then like, there's always like some reason why something didn't happen. And in the micro level, like when you look at it, it's like, of course, yeah, I didn't have time to finish it, but this is why you end up needing some of these mentors and coaches around you to act as like accountability coaches in a way too. Yeah. Uh, I agree. And yeah. it's hard if you're, if you're a founder 
you're you're kind of the boss of yourself and boss of your company. So sometimes who are you accountable to in the earlier stages? Maybe you don't have an entire board to be accountable to uh, for somebody to call you out on your bullshit. Um, and we all need that. We need that. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I love being able to turn around. I've worked in quite a few co-working spaces and it's always nice to turn around and talk to somebody else in different stages of growth, but, um, either as a potential, maybe it's a customer or maybe it's somebody that could be my, my mentor. And you have access to so many people in those kind of places, whereas you don't always have that in, uh, your own company, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Super nice to have that kind of a mixed community. And that's what OMG is. I know it's a, a co-working space, but it's so much more than that. And I love the fact that it's curated. I don't think that our audience necessarily knows that. So, yeah. you know, to make sure that you're really building a strong community within it. True. Yeah. yeah. That's an important part of it. Um, you know, it's not going to be perfect. Um you know, it, but at least if there's some level of effort of trying to vet people and curate people and try to think that, oh, this new person that's joining has these skill sets, this kind of interests, these kind of projects. And it's similar to like some of these other people that are inside here already. And this is how they can mesh so that, you know, the thought is that this person joining adds something to the collective space. And the, the existing space, the existing members can help this new person in all these different ways. And just even that very, you know, simple thought um, it, that is that true makes a world of difference. And, you know, it's a process that continues to get better. The vetting process will get continue to getting better. The bar to get in will keep increasing um, because we just learn. We learn about people and personalities and what they're going after and what they're trying and what worked and what didn't work. But, you know, when you, when you have high quality people next to other high quality people, good things will happen. Yeah. I agree. Know? Yeah. So how did you go from being in software to going into games? I mean, what was that stretch? Because I do you what kind of games do you like to play board games download games what was it when you first so you know part of it is like games is, is software right like there you you have to make a computer program computer application that you know is made for entertainment you know that's like video games and growing up uh you know in the 90s video games were were huge. I mean, like, you know, I, having a console like Nintendo and then Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo and Nintendo 64, like, you know, you play these games, uh, you know, on these consoles, like with your friends and, and it's a lot of fun. And um, we saw the progression of the quality of the games and the graphical quality and, and the breadth of, of, you know, how, how expansive they were. Um, it was it was mesmerizing and it was captivating and and I thought it was always interesting and just always growing up wanting to be an artist and a scientist. I didn't understand it at the time, but 
I think that's the reason why games had my intention. Uh, going into college, I thought I was going to be a doctor, just like any good Indian. You know, it's like the typical thing that like uh, you see a lot of a lot of Indians go and do of my generation. Like, you know, our parents generally uh, moved here from, you know, from India or Pakistan or, or something like and and try to like make it and it's a typical immigrant story so it shouldn't even say like indian or pakistani but it's like came to this country you know and landed at ellis island and only had like five dollars to your name and then somehow you got to make it and then like but that's that really was the the story of my parents and my grandparents and um but yeah i don't know why i guess like something has pushed a lot of people of my generation to kind of like become doctors um and and so I just love technology. And so, you know, I went into computer science and, you know, after graduating with that, you know, we study a lot of different things like AI, computer graphics, programming, C++, Java, all, all this, you know, data, data structures and algorithms. We learn all that kind of stuff. Um, but what do you do with it? If the whole world is software at this point, you know, what do you do with it? And so like, you know, talking with friends and stuff, it's like, what are we going to do? Are we going to write accounting software? Um, you know, no offense to people that do that, but that's, it is boring, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the more exciting thing would be like going into video games. Um, but it was at the time it was a very, very hard industry to get into. These days, some of the application and tools are very much democratized. Uh, they're free. You know, you have Unity or Unreal. You can download it for free. You could go on YouTube and, and watch videos for free. Um, you could find articles online and read those for free. Um, and you can teach yourself things. And that was not true uh, when I first got into the real world. It would cost a million dollars for a license uh, to be able to use Unreal. It cost $25,000 to have... Uh, one seat of, you know, I think at the time, like maybe it was called Alias Wavefront Maya and then maybe Autodesk, I think eventually bought them. Um, so, you know, at the time it was hard uh, to actually have the skill sets that I was learning. Um, so it took a while and I didn't get into games until, you know, maybe around 2012 or so. Um, I graduated in 2004 and then I did, you know, some, uh, some research, I did some consulting, I did the plastic manufacturing company, I did the tech company, and it was in until uh, traveled through India and, and did deals there. It wasn't until 2012 that I actually finally had the opportunity to start a game studio, but it was something I always wanted to do and, and finally had that chance. Yeah. I didn't actually know that there were other... Um co-founders until I moved in, so to speak. And I went, wow, there's all of these other people that are part of this journey. And I think that the the three of you, you know, you, Derek and and Tony, have very similar personalities. You're you're not necessarily spotlight guys. You're all super kind. I am so privileged to sit at that table with the three of you because I go, these are the people that I like so very much. Um, and I can ask a question and nobody looks at me strange. There was this one time though, and I'm pretty sure if you had heard my question, you would have gone, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
are you the owner of a game company? Why would you even ask this question? And I'll tell you what it was, uh, full transparency. I had said, isn't a game designer the same as a, a 3D, as an artist? Everybody looked at me and went, <laughs> yeah, I feel like everybody in the entire room all would have like simultaneously like turned their head and were like, what? What? <laughs> and I went, it says designer. I'm just thinking they're, you know, they're an artist like any other game or, you know, art designer. And mm. Tony, Tony's face was just like, oh my goodness. And I'm pretty sure you could have <laughs> in your head too, because that's what he teaches, yeah. right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was pretty funny. Uh, common misconception, actually, you know, honestly, like when people hear design and this is true, even of other things too, like graphic design, right? UI, UX designer, like people hear the word designer and they just think like how something looks. Yeah. Uh, but so it's, what is it's, a UX designer? You brought that one up. What is that? I mean, it's about how things work. So more so like just beyond like the the colors and the shapes uh and the shadows of, of how something looks on the surface it's really how does it work with each other like how do the systems of what you're you're wor working with like function between each other like how do you go from this screen to that screen how does you know how do you how does it accept data like in what order do you do things um that's the design part of it right they're not a programmer they're not a programmer. Sometimes you end up with like some unicorns that know how to do graphic design. Um, they know how to make user interfaces. They know how it should work and flow. They should know what that user experience is and they can program it. But those unicorns are, are you know, very few, but so it, it's a very uh, deep field. So there's people who are just very much specifically game designers like they just have to think how will this game work as a system amongst all the other things all the other modules all the other levels all the other things within this this video game or or likewise in any application you know that a ui ux designer has to think about how things flow from one state to another and then that's what the programmer takes as guidance in actually making it do the things so I'm going to flip from over here. What is Indynomicon and how is that? Well, I always explain it as a sister organization to OMG, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm curious as to how you marry the two together. You know, it it, it really is a case of uh, they're symbiotic. And, and the thing is the originally the Orlando game space was born out of some needs that were seen from the Indianomicon community. And it's like, what the hell is Indianomicon? But like, it, it's a name that came about actually from like, you know, the original six, six of us that all got to meet and know each other back in 2013. Um, I think we met at a game jam. A game jam is kind of like this hackathon where you try to make a game very fast. You try to rapid prototype something really fast. And, um, you kind of form a team uh, with other people that are there. So sometimes you'll have artists and programmers and designers and musicians and all these people that are at a game jam. And then they form teams and they make a video game within a day or 48 hours or, or whatever. And a lot of us met each other then. And we were like, whoa, I didn't know you even existed in the city. I didn't know you were around. I didn't know who you were. 
And, and we're like, wow, we got to keep this vibe going on. Like you should get to know even more people. So that name came about and we just started having meetups. Um, and it was all about like indie game developers and, um, the book, you know, the name is is kind of a play on this book called the Necronomicon, which was like the book of all things. And um, so it's called Indianomicon. And um, so ultimately what would happen is you would see all of these game studios forming where they'd be working on projects and putting things out there. But then that was it. It was happening once a month. And then it was like, what's happening the other 28 days, 29 days, 30 days? Where are these people? What are they doing? And we just ended up finding people were working in their garage, working in their bedroom, working in some random office in the middle of nowhere. Um, somebody has an office all the way like in Avalon Park, a uh, little suburb of Central Florida um, or Winter Park. And it's just like, it's just you in that office? Really? Like, and, and, and it's like everybody's living in their own island. And um, so the thought was that, you know, if people had a space that they were working out of, you're creating these collisions, you're creating density, people that would be facing some kind of problem today. Maybe they could talk to somebody who faced that same problem two months ago and solved it. And instead of, you know, wasting the next six weeks trying to figure it out, they could solve it by who they talk to. So it was trying to solve some problems that we saw in the meetups and in the game jams that were happening at Indianomicon. And so it was, it was symbiotic in that way. And it was just that, that was formed to kind of solve that problem. And, um, you know, ultimately maybe the, the approach and, and the focus is a little bit different and that Indianomicon is, is to really kind of welcome all people within games. Um, you know, even if they're in college or they're, you know, grads, or if they're veterans, um, they're working at studios, they can come and be a part of these events. And uh, it's it's really just kind of like help keep the culture going um, and people to meet each other. Now, out of that, there's a certain subset of people that are like, I've got a company uh, or I'm growing a company or I want to start a company and I want to grow professionally i want to grow like my customer base i want to grow as a team well now you're looking at like professional business uh you know goals and that's more focused you know as it was in in the orlando game space and, and now at omg labs that professionally you're with other like-minded people like-minded people and from there, if if people are focused on growth, then you'll focus on growth too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, very true. So what is, now here's some fun questions for you. Uh, what is, I won't give you that one. That's not so fun. Uh, favorite quote that you like to live by? Oh, um, you know, I don't know who said this um but i always say it and some people even like attribute it to me like they say it's kunalism but i know it's not it, it it's you can't edit a blank sheet hmm. and that was told to me by a brigadier general in the indian army um and he so he told me that 
and it was it was just to say that you know sometimes you got to just try something and have something before you can you can have some kind of kind of solution you can think 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 and, and it, it may never get done but if you have something down you can edit it you can rearrange it and then you might have you might find what you're looking for sooner so i will say this and i apply that to to a lot of things that i do that you can think and you can talk as much as you want but you can't edit a blank sheet you know in the end you just got to put things down and then and then you're closer to you know the vision you want to get to so i would say that somebody out there somebody famous has probably said that i don't know who no. who it was i'll tell you who it was so it's a woman her name is Jody J O D I Picolt P I C O U L T, and she said you can you can always edit a bad page, but you can't edit a blank page. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. While you were saying it, I went well. Let me Google it. We can find out. So now you know. It's yeah. Variation for sure. So your version could be a canalism. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, if, if that's, uh, if anybody attributes it to me, at least I, I hope I help them in some way. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So what is the hardest lesson that you learned that changed your life? Oh, hardest lesson that changed my life. Um, my life is changing all the time and there's lots of things I still need to learn and be better at. Um, I suppose it's just the aspect of time. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you grow up, you graduate at college, you're in your twenties and the world is your oyster. There's like, feels like you got unlimited time. Or even when when you feel like ah, I don't got time, I'm too busy, and you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like you you have no concept of how much free time you actually do have, and and you know as you start going through life and you start having more relationships, you know whether it's it's like you know a significant other, um, or you start eventually having kids or, or or things like that, the amount of time that you have becomes a little bit more structured. Um, or you owe time to some other people. Um, and it means you have to become uh, much more careful with what you do and how you do it and how efficiently you do it. And that's a really, really hard thing to do. Um, you know, I feel like when I was younger, I could just bulldoze through a lot of things. And, you know, maybe it's not even efficient that I got it done. I, maybe I got it done and it was done great and it, it met the goal. But like, take that same approach, you know, with somebody who has like a lot of other responsibilities and commitments, you can't do it. So you got to be more efficient. Um, so that, that I think is, is one of the hardest lessons because as a founder, I don't know, I personally feel like this is one of the things that's like the next major challenge of my life is to figure out how to best balance and harmonize, you know, home and work, you know, and, and the, the, you know, the goals and things that you want to do. Um, how do you harmonize that between all of them? Um, because you know, it feels like sometimes you put too much time into work, you don't have enough time at home. 
you feel sometimes it feels like you're putting too much time at there is no too much time, but if you put more time at home, something at work suffers. Um, or then even your own personal passions. Like, do you have enough time for things that you want to do? Like for you as a person, you know? Um, so I would say trying to balance um, or harmonize the time that we give to the different parts of ourselves, you know, um, that's the hardest lesson. Like, I feel like put in too much time at work and and you miss out on on really important things in, in your personal life. Yeah. Money will come and go. People come and go. Right. But time it's just one shot. Yeah, that's it. You yeah. miss it. It's gone. Yep. So what do you want to be remembered for? Um. You know, there's, I, I, I would say, um, I hope people saw, saw me as being someone who was helpful to them. Um, I, I would say that, you know, there's, there's this personal passion of mine in terms of creating opportunities for people who I think are very talented or creative. And I don't all I don't always feel that the people that have the talent and the creativity have the opportunities um, to bring that to the world through whatever circumstances there are, uh, whether it's like their environment or personal reasons or or, or things like that, uh, or financial reasons. Um and that part I think always matters to me so i would want to be remembered as someone who helped pave a path that like they were able to be um somebody who is creative and talented and they're able to like do what they wanted to do in their life to create that to bring that mission bring that value into the world that that maybe their path was made a little bit you know easier because they cross my path um that that they 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 feel like can all help me a lot and and in turn i hope in doing that it helps me too you know like i feel like helping others you help yourself too um you know i, I think that that part is important to me creativity the arts science like the, those those parts are important and i feel like the people who are truly talented and and maybe don't have a pathway that did I help create some of those pathways? Mm, that one's good. Really good. Um, we're going to take a break and uh, come right back after we acknowledge our sponsor, Transcend Network. Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for edtech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with Employers for Change, and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show. And we're back. We're looking at what the future of 2030 looks like. You know what, Canal? I went and I looked up what the AR VR industry is supposed to be by 2030. You want to guess how many just in the United States? You want to guess how much money? Oh, I don't know. I should know this figure, but I, I it changes. So I don't know if anybody. Can. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know. 50 billion, 70 billion, 75 billion. 
100 billion? $451.5 billion just in the mm. Makes It makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think the games industry is probably, the video game industry is probably uh, at this well, point. reality I'm talking about. Yeah. And then that's broader, right? Like it's, it's like, it's kind of like all industries will be using it. Yeah. Cause and, healthcare will use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, I feel like it's almost like saying the computer industry, like how, like when computers were first coming out and somebody's like, Oh, what are you, what are you in? Are you, are you, well, I'm at a computer company or like I'm in the computer industry and it's like eventually computers is just everywhere. So this is like, it's like, uh, Somebody saying like, well, I'm in the writing industry, like I'm in the paper and pencil industry. It, it, you know, it's like uh, everybody uses a paper and pencil. What are you talking about? I, I feel like that's, you know, computers is just totally pervasive everywhere now. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a laptop. Everybody is using a computer in whatever. Smartphones. In, yeah, smartphones. Yeah. It's ubiquitous. And so I kind of feel like we'll get to that point, too, where augmented and virtual reality and immersive 3d experiences and all that kind of stuff will just become ubiquitous everywhere and people will just experience it and one day it won't be like i'm in the ar vr industry it'll be like uh it's just a part of life mm -hmm. yeah definitely but that amount of money is just staggering it's amazing so, and then there's these, this one side of people still in, in, you know, our 2023 where they go, oh no, it's never going to catch on, but yet it keeps moving forward. And, you know, people probably have said that about, I don't know, cars, right. About everything, everything. you know, how could you have a phone that you could actually use as a computer? <laughs> like, and it, it, it's extremely expensive, right? when you first yeah. go and have this stuff, but they keep getting it better and better. So then the price point comes down and more people can have it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like the people who say this um, have not stopped and thought about it mm -hmm. or are just very narrow-minded or are just the human equivalent of dinosaurs staring <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a meteor headed towards earth. Like, uh, yeah, you know, people said this about cars. No, I got a horse. What do I need a car for? It's like TV. Come on. I'm going to stare at a box. I got the radio or like, you know, computer. I got the yellow pages. I can look up anything. And so it's like, it just keeps going on and on and on. And it's like the internet and smartphones and tablets and, and, and all of that. And so 3d, and AR and VR is 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 just another another wave um, that's headed our way. So, what do you think it would look like in twenty thirty? Because to me, when I think about you know AR and VR, I also throw in their holograms. And let's go back to old school Star Trek yeah. and people being <laughs> up and being dropped down in other places, and then I go over to. Um, what was the movie with the Avatar, Avatar movie? And, you yeah. know, being able to, to me, it's a little creepy because I sit here and I go, why would I want to be in some other form than myself and lay in a, basically a box, a coffin where somebody could kill that body? I've been watching way too much of the Matrix, to be honest. <laughs> I go, yeah. 
oh my gosh, you know, why, why would I want to do that? So I'm throwing a lot of things out there. Take your pick on any of them that you want to, and it can be said, what do you going to look like in 2030? Oh, you know, the thing is like 2030 is not that far away at the same time. It sounds very far away. And then this is a, a, a symptom of just simply like growing up, I guess, you know, like when you're a little kid, like one year feels forever. And and these days a year just goes by like that. And then, you know, just to think even a decade, a decade goes by very fast, you know, like it's, it's like, yeah, I remember what it was like in the year 2000 or, you know, or year 2010 or, you know, 2020. And then all of a sudden, so wait, it's 2023 now. Oh, whoa. How did this all happen? Like years go by. Um, and then when you take a look at like software development and especially even in game development, game development projects like the bigger ones take two, three years to to produce and polish and, and get ready. And some of them take even longer. Um, software projects can go on for like six months to a year or even longer. Um, producing content takes time. Quality content takes time. You can make really bad content or, or content that's not been thought of, thought, thought out quicker uh and with ai at least what's being called ai are tools that a lot of professionals can use today um and non-professionals to make some content and it it's kind of like a you know a palette and a paintbrush and paint you know you give it to a five-year-old you're gonna get some smudges on a on a canvas and and you know it'll be cute and all but it's not real art you give it to a real professional artist you're going to get a masterpiece you could give a crayon to a you know professional you know artist and get a masterpiece Mm -hmm. so you know it's important to understand that part and so what all this ai you know software and tools that are coming out is going to help make those true artisans and masters of craft that much more powerful that much faster um, they're going to be able to produce more. And so the speed at which we're going to innovate between now and 2030 is going to be huge. Um, and so it will come faster um, than we expect. And the amount of advancement that will happen that you would expect to happen in seven years will also move faster. And I do think it'll be pervasive all around us, everything in terms of augmented and virtual and 3D, it will just blend into our daily lives. Um, I think there's things related to telepresence and um, AI that will help transport us as holograms to other people. So when you think about computer vision, and whoever does that really, who's thinking about computer vision if they're just a regular person, you know, I, you see this in some high-end cars where when you're backing up, it, it shows like a top-down view of your car. Mm-hmm. So like the first wave was, it was just a camera in, in your rear, you know, in the back of the car. So you saw like as your car's backing up. The next thing that you see is you see a full top-down view of your car and you see 360 all the way around your car. So as you're backing up, you actually see other cars around you. There's no magical camera that's floating above your car that's like beaming it down into that screen. It's generated. 
you know, there's some cameras around the edges of your car and the software stitches it together with like a reproduced version of your car. So when you look at it, it looks like your car, it seems like your car and the environment around your car seems like the environment. And it's just stitched together and generated from all of these different cameras that are put around your car. But it's not real. And it's it's not really a camera floating above your car that's capturing this. But to you, it seems like it. That concept is going to spread across all the other things that we do. Um, if we're wearing glasses, like AR glasses, XR glasses, or, you know, in, in the short term, there'll be goggles or VR headsets. You already see it, that there's cameras. There's cameras that are on the edges here and it knows what your hands are doing. So if my hands are doing this, then in, in, in a VR setting, in the virtual world, my, my virtual hands are doing this too, right? It knows everything that I'm doing. And um, even the camera can look at your eyes and it can know whether I'm looking to the left or to the right, or I'm looking up. It can know if my eyebrows are raised up or down. It can know what my mouth is doing. If I'm happy, if I'm sad, I'm like, it, it just knows all of it. And just like that car backing up and you see that reproduced on that screen, the same thing will happen to you. There will be a virtual facsimile, and that's a word, right? Like a virtual reproduction of you, an avatar of yourself that's made by just picking up little points of changes in your mouth and your eyes and your eyebrows and, and things like that. And it knows that, hey, like even my hair is combed this way today. And uh, I happen to be wearing this kind of shirt today. It just has to pick up a few key points to create a virtual reproduction of you. It won't be 100% correct, but it's close enough. And then now, if AI can just simply produce a 3D avatar that looks close enough of me to you, right? Because you're wearing AR glasses, then I'm just simply a hologram that just appeared. It's almost feels like I'm there. I'm standing there. And likewise, the same the same, you know, for you, like if you were wearing those glasses, those goggles, then it would feel like you are standing right here with me. Mm. And, and you add that to, okay, that's just like interfacing with humans. You could now apply AI to this too. And you could be talking to virtual humans who are, you know, like, imperceptible like you, whether they're ai or whether they're human like you could be talking to a hologram and it seems like a total regular human mm -hmm. the way they're communicating the way they're making like you know they move their eyebrows in a funny way um everything like changes in their speech pattern all of this stuff ai will just pick up and it it's almost a little bit scary uh in, in terms of like what's happening here um, that we're going to be talking to AI and maybe we won't even be able to tell whether they're human or not, but there, there will come a time where it's, it's all around us for the, the square monitor that we see in front of us is going to be gone. The entire world, the entire sky is going to be the computer screen. Like our entire field of view is a computer like, screen. Wait, there was a movie, Bruce. No, what was it? 
Isabel, I can't hear you. Oh, wait, you can't hear me? That's a problem. Oh, wait, oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was going, there was a movie about that, and it wasn't Bruce Almighty, but um, what's his name was in it? Never mind. But, you know, they put him inside of a, a world and he thought he was the only one. And Jim Carrey was in it. I'm sure. Oh, Truman Show. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What you're describing is something very similar so that he thought he lived in this utopian world and everything was curated for his life for people to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And th there will be aspects of all these different TV shows and movies that will start popping up in our regular lives and it'll some of us who have lived long enough will just be like oh it's like that movie it's like oh it's like that tv it's show it's like it's like that book and 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 these these things will start becoming apparent to us and then for some other people they they will not know any difference they just they just live in that world they were born into this world that that's just like that so my next question is um what TV shows and movies do you watch articles or books that you read or conferences that you might attend? And out of those things, what do you think is the closest to what it would be in 2030? Because there's parts of me that go, it's so going to be the matrix. And we're probably already living in it right now. We just yeah. are not being plugged into the back of our heads, you know, yeah. and I've seen like black mirror. I go, Oh my God, that's terrifying there. Mm. And I watched this other one, the future of, and it's on Netflix. And I went that that's it. That's gotta be it because it was a little bit hopeful, you know, more hopeful than the others that I described. But what, what do you think is uh, that people should read and follow? And what do you think it's going to, best stimulate that you've seen already you know there's this could probably be a blog post or something like that but like uh you know there's um there's tv shows that kind of like talk about all these various concepts that we're seeing come out now um black mirror on netflix i think is a is a great series not every episode is is going to be your cup of tea uh you know but but it's an interesting take on various technologies we have today, except they kind of imagine it like five, six generations ahead of development. And uh, it's kind of like, this is the darkest timeline, the darkest future. If, if technology went wrong, this is where it would go. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting to see, uh, see that because, you know, it, we can take that knowledge and that, and that, you know, perspective and make certain we don't go down the darkest timeline so I, I think um i think that's a great show to watch um black mirror uh the matrix it's a classic came out in 99 but you know i i saw it recently and and some things look dated about it uh but a lot of it is like huh yeah this is happening right now like that this is that these aspects are true um you know, like the term metaverse was thrown around every few sentences in every part of the media over the past couple of years until finally they're like, oh, the metaverse is dead. But like that was the matrix, you know, its vision was the matrix. But like all things um, with with the media, it needs to move into a new cycle and developers just need time to build stuff. <laughs> so it's like as soon as it was announced, like developers didn't have time to like really build out the things that people would think of as the metaverse. 
and they still are building. Um, and eventually in a couple of years, there will be something similar to that. Um, Ready Player One is a great book. Um, they made a movie about it, the, of that book. But the book, I guess, very common thing people say, the book is better than the movie. But I'm a person who ends up watching the movie more times than not. I don't end up reading um, novels as much as I should. But um, I'm very glad that I read Ready Player One, the novel. Um, that's that I would say is very much worthwhile a read. And that kind of tells you where things are headed. Um, so there's, there's probably more, there more out there. Um, and especially in terms of the, the concepts of AI, um, there is star also another thing, like, I think it was, uh, I could be hundred percent wrong here, but like Star Trek Voyager, or maybe it was Deep Space Nine. I can't remember, but there was a, a virtual doctor. Um, there's a holographic doctor, an AI doctor. And this doctor would just, just could appear in different areas of, of, you know, the ship. And it was an AI doctor. It, it kind of looked like a person, it acted like a person, um, but VR he wasn't. Five. It says it's VR5. It was a okay. young woman, Sydney, works in a telephone company, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Dr. Bloom. Is this that could be a different, I mean, I think that could be a different uh, show altogether, but this was definitely Star Trek. Okay. But it was, um, but, but it, what it goes to show is that AI could treat you you know it could take information ask you questions have infinite knowledge knowledge of every hospital in the world every doctor in the world every prognosis every determination every research report within microseconds and cross-reference things and all that and so if, if you have like a super doctor um of an ai and it's you know program to speak in a very you know soft calming good bedside manner way that would be amazing you know so um it's described as chat gpt but in a yeah. human, right it's in all human form. knowledge right in a human form and and you know it's already very useful today mm -hmm. uh Tons of doctor friends have said they've tried it and they're like, oh, it's not perfect, but it's surprisingly good and robust in, in what it, it, it talks about. And so imagine seven more, seven more years of advancement in that um, mixed with 3D and holograms and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So this will be the last of the series of this. There's just two other questions right after. But what ethical dilemmas, and I know you touched on it with the discussion about Black Mirror, um, ethical dilemmas, do you think could happen? And, and do you really feel that we're prepared? Like we are preparing, we put some type of a, I don't know if it's an organization or a process in place where we go, no, we, we can't do that. That's why we have NATO, right? Because we're right. all nice in the world but we know not everybody wants to go and do that so what do you think should be done for this type of advancement that we're doing it seems like there needs to be something in place and i would be the first to go hey i want to join that yeah yeah um 
there's there's two things that I think about uh, in in regards to all this advancement that's happening. Uh, one is representation. So the people that are developing this software, you know, if they were all white males in their twenties, uh, that all grew up in the same state. Nothing is saying that those people are bad. Mm -hmm. It's just one perspective. Mm -hmm. And and so when you're designing and training AI to give responses or to consider something is uh, relevant or not relevant or important or not important, everybody has blind spots in what they think is right or wrong or maybe not even black and white like that, but like gray areas or or what to what to consider is important or not so i think in the design of this kind of stuff it matters having all genders um people of different races ethnicities backgrounds socioeconomic backgrounds um to be a part of that design process and training process because then that's truly where you'll get the most robust type of AI and solution, um, one that's considering different factors, and it's going to be ultimately more helpful to people. But the problem is, is that if people don't take the time to be able to set those teams up correctly and build the right kind of companies, it will create those problems. In the short term, people will be like, I don't care, I'm just going to get rich. Um, and, and maybe you can have that perspective, right? But it's like, what kind of world do we want to live in? Mm -hmm. I want to say like, uh, yeah, yeah, I did it, put it out there. And then I just created this really like terrible world, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I'm not saying that people necessarily go out there to do that, but you know what? Like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And, yeah. and so we, nobody wants to be in hell. And, and so we are now intelligent enough to have seen enough technology come and go and the effect it has on society to say, hey, this is a really, really, really big influential type of technology, and we should not allow it to create a bad environment. We can do that. And so hopefully people do uh, by having the right representation. The other aspect, and this is kind of a little bit more of an extension of that, is education. I think we don't pay enough attention to the education of our youth. And then we complain about how society is falling apart. And it's like, it takes 20 years to develop a, a an adult, you know, uh, and, and people don't have that kind of attention span. Uh, so, you know, they think about this month, this quarter, this year, this season, this you know, they think about that, but it's hard for them to think about 20 years, Think thinking about educating a human for 20 years to then become a productive member of society. Um, and, it's, you know, maybe plus or minus a few years on that. But if we don't put in the right attention to educate our youth in the ways they'll be helpful in the future, we're screwing ourselves. And then when there's problems 20 years from now, we're like, oh, look at how like messed up society is and, and look at all these problems. And it's like, yeah, the previous generation didn't do the stuff to 
make certain that our next generation is educated and trained uh, and capable of solving the problems of tomorrow. And in doing that, you're also helping, I think, improve the problems of today. So I think how we educate our children today and into the future with all these technologies at hand is going to be important. We need to think about that. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so uh, last question here is, what is the best mentoring advice you want to share with our listeners? And just so you have a little bit of a profile, um, generally they're between 23 to 65 plus. Um, it is global. It, there are uh, like 5% more men that listen than women in all industries. So what is the best mentoring advice I could give to you? Yes. I, I would say uh, find mentors and <laughs> just, just flat out, like even just that. Uh, a lot of people sometimes take the approach of, I know the answer. Uh, I, I just know it. Um, whether it's you think you've read enough or you've researched enough and you know it, um, or whether it's like my gut tells me this, my intuition tells me this, and you don't, you just do it your way. Um, you're 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 bound to fail. You're bound to fail. You might be successful here or there, but that's not indicative of a way that's going to keep you successful. Finding mentors uh, that you can bounce ideas off of, um, who have who are a little bit further ahead of you, um, maybe not even a little, maybe they're vastly ahead of you. But like being able to, you know, balance these ideas back and forth or your thoughts or your 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 mental models or, or whatever with them. And not just even one, just maybe a couple will make a big difference. Um, you will be a much better prepared person if you do that. And And I would say, like, if that's something I could change for myself, it would be to find more mentors sooner and to take time to spend spend more time with them to think through you know what it is that you're doing because again time is a very limited thing that we all have and once it's gone it's gone and so you know uh, they they say there's a saying they say you know when's the best time to plant a tree and the answer is 20 years ago mm-hmm. and the next best answer is today and so yeah i wish i had more mentors because I would have saved some more time and I would have had more time to do more things. Um, so I, I would say, try to find a place where you can find some mentors. Don't like your current mentor, find another mentor, yeah. but don't think that you have really learned it all. And and even, even the benefit that I, I feel I got most from studying computer science, which is problem solving, like how to identify problems and break problems down into smaller things and solve them individually. That that concept by itself is not good enough. You do need to just talk to other people. You need to like talk to mentors and, and you will find that things will get refined that way. Yeah. And they shouldn't all look like you. And they, they shouldn't, shouldn't look like all, yeah. They shouldn't at all. And I'm just piggybacking on that. And they should also tell you what you need to hear not necessarily what you want to hear. Correct. You won't like what they have to say sometimes and you'll think that you're right and they're wrong, but 
this is why you you need this uh and and you need more than one mentor and, and you will find that when men, more of them are saying something you might have to say like oh maybe i don't have it correct and and yeah you need men women different races different ages different you know daughter i'm going to tell you she's probably your best your best reminder of time 100 percent, 100 percent. it's like oh she's taller she's faster she's smarter like time is moving by yeah yeah so how can people reach out to you so you know we were talking about omg labs and idinomicon so Kunal at omglabs.pro. Uh, you could email me there. Uh, and, you know, if you're a company that's looking to be um, innovative and you have a product or you're, you know, technologically advanced and you want to be amongst like-minded people, you can apply um, to be there. No guarantees that you'll be accepted. Um, there is a vetting process, but we do want people um you know, to be there, uh, and it, it will make you better and it will make us better. Um, and perhaps there's, there's even, you know, some kind of work that you need. If you need super smart, talented people that are building the future, some of them may be there at OMG labs, and then you can reach out to us there. Um, I have your and, link. Yeah. And, and yeah, LinkedIn as well. Very easy to find me there. Um, love connecting with with new people. Awesome. Well, this is great. I want to thank you so much for being here. I cannot wait for this to get launched when we're doing all of this uh, big reveal on OMG Labs in a big way. So um, thank you very much. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you for having me. I want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our production team, producer and editor, Josue Gonzalez, and music by Sophie Lloyd. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisper by subscribing to us on Podbean or our Employers for Change YouTube channel or stream it from your favorite podcast channel.